You know what I tell people when they ask me about my name, I tell them to sit down. <laughs> Hi everyone, this is Amadal Yakbar and welcome to See Something Say Something. That voice you just heard was Brother Abdurrahim Rashida. He was born in 1925 in Mississippi. He converted to Islam in the 50s, and he has been a community leader in the Saginaw Masjid where I grew up for over 50 years. I am the one that God blessed to cut the unbiblical cord of slavery and start a new generation. So the Rashidah start with me. Growing up with Brother Rashida, learning from him, it connected me to a past that wasn't my own. He served in the Navy during World War II. He escaped Jim Crow South and has harrowing tales about that experience. He saw the rise and fall of the auto industry in Michigan and worked on the line at GM. He saw many, many young black Americans become just fascinated with the message of Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad um, and of the Nation of Islam of learning to take pride in your race and in your people when they were raised to have none. And with Warth Dean, when they moved over to Sunni Islam, he learned to adapt as a Muslim to a broader international community that he is still a part of to this day. So on this episode, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. You're going to be hearing from me just a little bit, but mostly you're going to be hearing from Brother Rashida. And we thought that a great way for you to get to know him would be to share a story about how he got his name. African-American, excuse me. (laughs) We got to admit that we were brought here. We are the offspring of slavery. We were brought here. We were robbed of our name, our language, our history, our culture our dignity, our manhood, everything. We were robbed of that. Yeah, we were robbed of it. We don't know our name. So my mother gave me the name Luthus, what, Tate. I don't know what the Luthus, what, meant, but I know that the Tate meant that was the slave master that owned my ancestors. So I gave up the slave master's name and choose one of God's names. So my name is Abdul Servant. So I'm a servant. Yeah, I'm a servant. Rahim, the merciful God. So I'm a servant of the merciful God. Rashida, rightly guided. <laughs> so that's me. <laughs> so we decided to do this interview a little differently. We actually went to Saginaw, Michigan. And instead of me doing the interview, we thought it would be fun for his granddaughter who I grew up with to do the interview, uh, Khalila Rashida. Hi, Khalila. Hi, how are you? It's been a long time. (laughs) It has, indeed. When we first saw each other, I was like, you look exactly the same as when I was probably a real jerk to you in the mosque because I was a bad kid, I'm not going to lie. Well, that's okay because I don't remember anything, so. I I remember some of the things that I did and I (laughs) I was not nice, so I apologize even though you don't remember. Khalil and Brother Rashida talk on the phone almost every day, usually about wrestling, which he's a huge fan of, along with Khalila's brother. Uh, and she grew up with him in the same house, which at some points housed the Muslim community in Saginaw, and where we met up with him for the interview. 
Assalamualaikum, Grandpa. Can you hear me? Yes. Walaikum assalam. Okay. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? You know, I'm good. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions. First one, what moment started your religious journey towards Islam? I had no knowledge of the religion. I only came into the knowledge of the religion at the age of 32 years old. But the treatment that I received from a boy up until that time, I thirst for something better. So I was invited to go to a meeting. I didn't know where I was going by some brothers that had been to that meeting. They wanted me to hear it. And the introduction of the meeting was a big flag. And that flag had freedom, justice, and equality on it. And they told me, the speaker, they told the story about the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And they said, if you follow that man, say you will get freedom, justice, and equality. That stuck with me. I was not looking for religion, but the religion was in the package. I was eating pork. My father used to kill his hogs. You know, we had pork meat, he'd smoke it, have it hanging up in the smokehouse, and we could go there and cut us a piece of ham or cut us some anytime we got ready. I smoked cigars. I had a bill and whiskey. I drank little whiskey and bill. I had some of all of that. But when I heard that teaching, I went home and throwed all that stuff out. I wasn't like some people that say, I'm, when I eat up all this, then I ain't gonna eat, I ain't gonna buy no more. I throwed it all out. My wife thought I was crazy. Throwing away, clean this refrigerator out. You know. Were you in Michigan or were you in Mississippi when and, uh, this happened? I was here in Saginaw. So that was in 1958, and I've been a Muslim ever since. And I asked you about was it in Michigan because I knew that you used to live in Mississippi. Yeah. What made you move to Michigan in the first place? I really didn't move to Michigan. After I got out of the Army, I got married. My father had a farm. I never worked for anybody but my father. But after I, your uncle, my oldest son, was born, I thought that Maybe I would get me a little job, supplement my little income, you know, because I had a family coming now and I couldn't do like I was. So I got a little job at the dormitory and all we could do was clean up behind the students. And it was one student in his room when he should have been out and it was two or three of us out cleaning, sweeping the hall and we were laughing and talking, having fun. And he come out there and he said, I wish you in, use the N word, would stop so much of this fuss out here. And I says, uh, who are you talking to, mister? He says, I'm talking to you, N, call me, you know, the N word. He said, and I'll kick your A word. I said, no, sir, mister, you won't kick me. I said, in the meantime, I'll kick you. And so he went crazy. 
He went crazy. He ran into me. When he ran into me, I floated him. And I tried to stomp his guts out. I left him laying in the middle of the floor. Then that's when all of the college students, and they all got together, roaming, looking for me. And I had a brother here. My parents begged me to leave because there was people who were looking for me to lynch me. And I, I came here where my brother was. And how old were you? I old 22. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> 22 years old. Uh, in my prime, mm -hmm. I was. So what was your job when you first got to Michigan? General Motors. I started to work on a job they called a hotline. And I thought it was good money compared to the money they paid you in Mississippi. Okay? It was a prison-like environment at that time. African-Americans couldn't do nothing but the hard work. No skilled treatments, no nothing but the hard work. And the foreman was not a educated, trained foreman. It was a cruel slave driver. Get over there. Do it or get out. You know. But the old job changed all the time. You could have enough of work. Sometimes you thought you had too much, and the farmer would come along and say, another job coming in after a while, put it over there. Then you tell the farmer, I got enough, I can't get, well, you do it, do it, do it or get out. That's the kind of job. I worked there for almost 30 years. So I've been out 42 years. All praise is due to Allah. <laughs> In order to put Brother Rashta's story into context, I want to give a quick history lesson about the Nation of Islam. The Nation of Islam is a political and religious group that preaches and preached um, black liberation, black separatism, and pride in your race and yourself. Um, you all know who Malcolm X is. He was one of the most famous uh, leaders of the community. But for most of its most important years, it was run by Elijah Muhammad. And then afterwards, his son, Warth Dean, also named Wallace Muhammad. And that is who Brother Rashtha followed. But it was a lot more than a religious community for people. People had to give up alcohol and pork. They had to take classes. There was a big emphasis on setting up and patronizing black-owned businesses. And a lot of that history was centered around Detroit. Detroit was one of the main centers that the nation had in the era that Brother Rashta was a member of the community. And Saginaw was sort of a satellite site to the Detroit headquarters of the Nation of Islam. So soon after becoming a Muslim, Brother Rashta rise to the position of imam's assistant. And the imam was based in Detroit, so he would come out to Saginaw on Sundays and some other days to preach and bring instructions from headquarters. Um, but that was obviously difficult, and eventually Brother Rashta became the head imam. Um, he has since retired, but throughout his tenure at the mosque, he has always, always served in a leadership position. So where was the mosque in Saginaw Everywhere. at that time? Everywhere. The masjid at one time was here at my house in the basement. We was in storefronts. We were everywhere. So we didn't have nowhere. After I bought this place, then we had our masjid here in the basement right downstairs. 
So can you tell me a little bit about the people who were at that first masjid here in the basement? That was even before uh, Brother Jacob time. Most of those people were African-American, correct? All of them. All of the people at that time were African-American because the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, he said his message was for the African-American. It was not for everybody. So, and he admit he was not teaching the pure religion as it should be, but he was getting us ready for the pure religion. But he taught us that Allah was God. Muhammad was his messenger. Islam was our religion. But he taught us, he, he, trying to, he taught us our history. We had a lot of names that we were called, and we didn't even want to be what we were. African-American was conking their hair. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Bleaching their skin, doing all kind of things, disfiguring themselves, trying to look like the slave master. Okay? They hated themselves so much so until if you call one of us at that time, if you call him black, you had a fight. <laughs> yeah. So the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, he stopped that. And he had a message. He had what you call student enrollment. Uh, you know, he had lessons that we got. And, and, and one, of, one of them was student enrollment. He said, who is the original man? And the answer was the Asiatic black man, <laughs> the owner, the maker, cream of the planet Earth, father of civilization and God of the universe. That was the answer. <laughs> yeah, we were taught, yeah, we were taught stuff that made us proud of ourselves. At the time when we, when we hated ourselves, you know, really, really, we hated ourselves. We, you call a man black, you had a fight. Mm -hmm. You said this was during times of racial segregation or during the sixties. Yes, during yes, during, during the sixties. So, yeah, during the sixties. So do you think being African-American and Muslim affected or affects the way that you see the world today? Yes. We, we, we thought of ourselves, African-Americans, did, as being the bottom rail, so to speak. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad told us that if you accept this religion, he said, you will come into a brotherhood and you, you, will, you will get freedom justice and equality, money, good home, friendship in all walks of life, you know. Islam, that's what it did for us. Calipooted us into a big brotherhood that we didn't know nothing about. I travel all over. I went to Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I was the imam for this community here. I went to Atlanta, Georgia. I got there and I couldn't rent no car because I didn't have no credit card. But I wanted to go to the masjid. And by me having on my little kufi cap, a brother walked up to me and said, Asalaamu Alaikum, brother. I said, Walaikum Asalaam. He said, well, you, you need a ride out to the, you know, out to the masjid? Said, yes, sir. You see, and that, well, he picked me up, took me out there, brought me back and everything. Just by me having my little kufi cap on, if I haven't had that on, I'd have really been lost. But <laughs> the brother recognized me as being a Muslim. See, and I got what I 
needed for that. So to me, it sounds like the community that you had during that time brought you deeper into your religious faith. Uh, yes. And knowing that you said most of those Muslims that came in were African-Americans and just thinking about how what it looks like the diversity in the mosque today, do you miss uh, the older community or having more African-American Muslims in the mosque? Well, yes, I do. Because at that time, we had F-O-N-I. What is that? We, uh, that's uh, okay. The F-O-N-I is what the fruit of, uh, fruit of Islam. That's what it stands for. And every Saturday, we had just like a training where all of the Muslims, we just come together, the masjid, and have a ball. We had self-defense trainers. We had judo, uh, karate. Then we would get together and go out in the community and invite people to come to the masjid. We'd have people coming in because we'd go out and invite them and bring them into the masjid. We did that then, but we don't do it now. As time passed, they kind of let it. So I think that would be good today. You see, that kind of training that we had, the F1I, it was teaching the men, they had a history, teaching us about our people. We were trained on how to take care of your family, how to be a man. You could take a man, we were trained, you could take a man's life with your bare hand. And that's the truth. We I don't want to mess with you then. <laughs> we, we, were trained, we were trained to do that. So many ex-Nation Muslims are now Sunni, including Brother Rashta, and as a member of the community in Saginaw, I learned a lot from those pioneers who founded the community, and I learned a lot about the history of the Nation of Islam, of being black in America, and of being Muslim in America. So I know that there was some transition that had to happen during the time when after Malcolm X died and after Elijah Muhammad died, how was that transition here in Saginaw? Well, when when Mal- Malcolm got killed, the 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 former the former on the job, you know, <laughs> they know I was a Muslim, and they didn't allow nobody to talk with me. <laughs> you know, they they did, you know, they kept me under surveillance at the plant. And they didn't, they didn't allow me, they see me talking with two or three people, they they break it up, you know, and all that kind of stuff. They knew I had meetings on Sunday. And the former, he would come to me and says, work Saturday and Sunday, Luther's, you know, like for overtime. Then if I tell him I can't, I work Saturday, but I can't work Sunday, then he would take all of it away from me. He'd do me like that. So I got on the third shift. That, that was a big sacrifice because I couldn't sleep uh, in the daytime. But I got on the third shift so I would be able to do my meetings and do what I had to do. And this was because with uh, Elijah Muhammad. That was with Elijah Muhammad. Mm-hmm. I made a lot of sacrifices for this masjid. And I worked, I was the imam 
running all over the country with no pay, nothing but a little gas money, going to Detroit every week, going running all over the country, taking care of business, and I did all of the work in the masjid. I, did, I cut the grass. I did everything myself just to hold that masjid until help come, until Allah sent us some help. <laughs> he helped. I did that. So, you know, and that's got a lot to do with, I believe, my longevity and everything else because Allah knows. Mm-hmm. He knows how to bless. So, so when, <laughs> yeah. so when after Elijah Muhammad passed, how did things change? Things changed one hundred percent. After Elijah Muhammad passed, his son Wallace Muhammad he came in to replace Elijah Muhammad, and what he did, he walked us right out of the nation of Islam into where we are today. I was the imam. We just had bought the Islamic Center where we are there now on 4th Street. And they had all the pews in there that the church had. And with, under his administration, I sold all the pews out and uh, put carpet on the floor. And we stopped sitting in chairs and started sitting on the floor like we sit on the floor now. We didn't have the, we had Talim on Sunday, but we had Juma on Friday like we have now. We made the transition. For 30 years before my parents came to the mosque, or maybe, maybe even more, the mosque in Saginaw, the Islamic Center of Saginaw, was a space almost exclusively for black Muslims and a place for them to talk about, you know, black pride and black liberation. And obviously things changed in 78 when they transitioned to Sunnism. And then things changed even more when immigrants actually started moving into their community and wanting to join their community. So I was at the masjid one night. They were doing something. Telephone rang. And it was one of the Eastern Muslims. He, and it was his wife called and asked, could they come to the meeting? And I told him, yes. So that Sunday, we were having Talim on Sunday. And you know, I taught religion real hard. And they come that Sunday, he, his wife, and his sister-in-law, three of them come. They heard the teaching. They heard what I had to say. They liked it. Then they invited their friends. And they invited their friends. They kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. And that's the space I grew up in. And I think it's common in a lot of mosques in America, though not all, that you go to a Pakistani mosque or you go to an Arab mosque or you go to a black mosque and that they don't always interact and our community was so small that some maybe maybe just by the nature of it, it they people had to interact, people had to learn from each other. 
And we could have talked to a lot of people from the community, but the reason why we talked to Brother Rashda is because he's seen it all. He's seen so much of that history of America and so much of that history of being Muslim in America and so much of the history of what it means to be Muslim in Saginaw. So I actually brought my dad along to this interview. Um, he lives in Saginaw, and he is a huge, huge Brother Rashda fan. During the interview, Brother Rashda pointed to my dad, remembering when he joined the mosque in the 80s and 90s, when it was much smaller and there were only a few immigrants joining the community at that time. So, his, his wife... And Who is him, he? <laughs> okay, Dr. Akbar and his wife, you know, came. <laughs> she, she was a hard worker. She came and, you know, and... And work with me, you know, and we did stuff, you know, and started improving. And the Muslims just kept coming, just kept coming, just kept coming. And so finally, we grew, outgrew over here. We got another masjid. But I was the imam when the first ones came. So they came after the transition uh, yeah, from after, Elijah after, Muhammad. After Elijah Muhammad died, and after Wallace Muhammad mm -hmm. uh, took over, then. You know, he he told us, you know, that to let everybody in, that religion was for everybody. With that perspective, him telling you to let everybody in, did that change your perspective of who you wanted to come to the masjid? No, 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 no. I was perfectly in agreement with it because I was a little different imam from most of the imams that was following Elijah Muhammad. When I first started following Elijah Muhammad, our, our brother in New York was selling Korans through the mail, you know. And I bought a Koran. And I was reading that Koran. So I was following Elijah Muhammad, but I was reading the Koran, seeing what the Koran said, and I believed in that anyway. So it was easy for me when Wallace took over. See, what Elijah Muhammad did, he sent Wallace to school and trained them. And he, he learned Arabic. He learned the Quran. He learned the religion. Then he just took over and walked us right into the religion as it is. Is there anything else that you wanted to... Tell us as a, a little lasting memory, is there anything that you want us to know? My memory is not like it was a long time ago. So I wrote a book. I started writing it when I was 75 years old. See, I didn't have the opportunity to go to school like you. Everywhere I went, I was ahead of my class. But I quit school when I was about the eighth grade. So I finished high school when your mama finished college. When I went to school, I was, I was the imam, and I was working in the plant, and I was still the head of my class. And I got it in my book. So that's the legacy. That's why I wrote the book, to leave my life as a legacy for my children, for my offspring, my children. And the reason I put my picture on the front page the way I did is because I be gone. Hopefully, my offsprings down through the line of time will pick up the book and they'll see me as I was when I was a young man. 
Can you please tell us what the book is called? This 75-year-old schoolboy still finds joy sitting in the classroom. And where can you find this book? Yeah, you you find it at uh, Barnes and Nobles, and then you it's on, on online. You can find it. Thank you, Grandpa, for letting me interview you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> This episode was produced by Eleanor Kagan, Megan Dietrich, and Meg Kramer. Um, they all, we all went to Michigan together and got that story, so big shout-outs to them. Also, I want to give my thanks to the Pod Squad and the Brain Trust, people like Dabir Akhtar, Zanab Shah, Julia Ferlin, Agaranesha Shagre, and Alex Laughlin. If you want to see me ask people at a halal cart what halal means and see how few of them actually know, please check out our videos on our Facebook page. Email us at something at buzzfeed.com. Don't forget to check out our music, which is by the Kaminas. You can find them on bandcamp.com. And as always, you can follow me at RadBrownDads on Twitter, where I'm most active. I'm Amadeli Akbar. Thanks for listening.